0: Hey, it's Gina. And it's Chris. And we want to give a special shout out to the very first patron of the Midwest Crime Files, Kim Arbuthnot. woo Kim is a silver level sponsor, which means she gets exclusive access to patron-only episodes, as well as some cool memorabilia that we have in the mail for you, Kim. Thank you so much for being a supporter. We are happy to have you.
1: Yeah, Thank you so much, Kim. The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised.
0: Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Chris is back this week.
1: Yeah, buddy. I'm sorry I missed you guys last week. Had to uh, run late on my real-time job, so.
0: Yeah, we gotta keep that daytime gig going. We gotta get going. that
1: money going. Hey, But I think the girls did a really good job of being filling co-hosts. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I definitely think that our daughters know a lot about crime and investigations and maybe a little much for their age. But Yeah,
1: but I mean, they did a really good job, though. Yeah, I'm they proud did. Of them.
0: They're awesome. So this week's story is taking us to Carbondale, Illinois. So right dab, smack dab in the middle of uh, southern Illinois. And we're going back to 1988. It was actually on April 9th, 1988, that a vehicle was found abandoned in the woods near Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. And depending on which source I looked at, some said it was actually technically on the campus. Others said it wasn't. It was in a wooded area that, that borders
1: Well, campus. I mean, Carbondale, I mean, it's an open type campus. It's not like it's gated in. So, I mean, you could be in or out and you don't know
0: it. Yeah, so it's very close to university, though. Um, the vehicle was found by some uh, local young people. I I don't know that they were necessarily teenagers, but definitely younger people, and you know, they start messing with this car, and they actually flipped it a little bit over, and when they did, a dead body fell out of the trunk.
1: Dun-dun-dun.
0: Could you imagine? You're like messing around, thinking, you know, you're just being silly and you know, messing with a car like you're cow tipping or something, you're just car tipping and all of a sudden there's a dead freaking body.
1: Well, I mean, it be not no because I mean, it was partially burned, so like, I I mean, I don't know like what the, uh, like why they decided to mess with a flipped over burnt car, but I, it's kind of odd.
0: Yeah. So, one thing about the body was that not only was it obviously a dead body, it was only a body. The deceased was missing their head.
1: Oh, really? Sorry. Was but... that,
0: like, a clue thing, or what was that? No,
1: just homage to to other podcasts.
0: <laughs> You're a mess.
1: I know, I'm...
0: So, he's making fun of our... our um, Competitors. Fellow fellow podcasters with the <gasps> Super Shock.
1: Eee gads. A we're
0: body doing, with no head. We're doing a true crime podcast. It's shocking that <laughs> someone died.
1: R- 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 Raggy.
0: <laughs> 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 uh, we anyway, this
1: is the story of the murder of Michael Miley.
0: Yes. So The body in Carbondale was identified as 23-year-old Michael Miley of Murfreesboro, and they actually used his fingerprints to identify him. Michael Miley was reported missing by his father after he failed to return from church service uh, just a few days before the body was found. Michael worked at a restaurant in Carbondale, and he was part of the local gay community. At the time, in the late 80s, Crab Orchard Lake was known as sort of a gathering spot for the gay community in the area. But over the last several months, there had been a lot of, like, nastiness going on down there. There They're hate crimes. Absolutely. Um, There were people that were you know, yelling profanities that were attempting to assault. I believe there were some even some assault and batteries and uh, even some robberies going on down there. And it all seemed to be fueled by the fact that, you know, some people did not want gay people in their small southern Illinois town. Um, you know, and I think, too, in the late 80s, if you think about what kind of time frame that was, This is at the height of the AIDS pandemic, and there was a lot of misinformation. There was a lot of
1: homophobia at that time, you know, because oh, we got this rampant disease just because of gay guys.
0: Gay men are probably the most victimized, I would say, as far as hate crimes go. Well, Well, before transgender. Yeah. You know, that's probably that, so. Um, The police quickly added a local man to their suspect list. His name was Richard Nitz, and he had a significant criminal history, uh, including intimidation, aggravated battery, theft, and damage to property. And a few months before uh, the murder of Michael Miley, Richard Nitz, Nitz had been chasing gay men around Crab Orchard Lake and smashing their cars with a baseball bat.
1: That is ridiculous.
0: One of those men was Mark Miley. Mark was Michael's twin brother and was also a member of the gay community. While Richard seemed like a likely suspect, there wasn't anything really to tie him to the crime right away, even though he was definitely on police radar because, you know, this is somebody they've already arrested for hate crimes. Right. You know, and the fact that... Michael Miley was gay doesn't necessarily mean his murder was a hate crime. I think that's something, too, that, like, well, I mean, just because he happened to be murdered, like, doesn't necessarily mean the intent was because he was a gay man.
1: Well, it, I think that all falls on who did the murdering, right? I mean, I'm
0: saying necessarily, like, right, like, in general, right now, that it absolutely did have to do with
1: it, and like, whenever you first find out. You know, the whole him being gay really isn't in perspective. I think it only gets brought into perspective once you find out who the killer is, and then it's like, oh, shit, yeah, like, that guy is...
0: From what I can tell from the newspaper clips, um, immediately they suspected he had been killed because he was gay. So I don't know if they learned this little tidbit of information about the victim and decided right off that it was a hate crime. I mean, in this particular case, it would turn out to be exactly what the problem was. Right. But, you know what I mean? It was just, like, assumed. Right. Well, he's gay. It must be a hate crime. I don't know. Anyway, going down a whole different rabbit hole. Yep. Um, A few days after the murder, though, Mr. Miley's credit cards were being used at the mall in Paducah, Kentucky. Store clerks quickly identified... Richard Nix and his wife Rita Nitz, as the people that were using the credit cards.
1: Buddha thunk it.
0: So, this gave them probable cause to search the Nitz's property. And when they went there to search, they found several items that had been purchased with Michael Miley's credit cards. They also found Miley's car radio in the garage, and his gold watch was in Rita's car. (coughs) Rita admitted to using the cards, but she told police that she didn't know that they belonged to a murder victim. So, I'm just going to say this. Like, if you're going to do something like commit a murder, don't use your victim's credit cards. Like, number one, stupidest move by criminals. Yeah. Like, don't. And then, like, they didn't even do a decent job of trying to hide the things they stole.
1: Right. Well, and then it goes to to the fact that How do you prove, so if they end up trying to charge Rita Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with a certain part of the crime, how do you, like, how do they prove that, oh, I didn't know it was from a murdered person? Right. You know, like, and I think that's something that can kind of get looked forward, like, looked into a little bit more, too. Like, and I'd like to learn how they get accomplices that really is, there's no real evidence tying them, except that they're using a credit card. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right, So it gets it gets interesting, though, too, because okay. authorities learned that Rita had purchased a gun just a few weeks prior to the murder. Not Richard, Rita. Hmm. The gun, however, was nowhere to be found, and she claimed she didn't know where it was. The police now theorize that Richard Nitz assaulted Michael Miley, drove him to the location where the car was found, and shot him in the head... And they believe that after he shot him, that he decapitated him to make it more difficult for them to identify him. But they easily identify him with his fingerprints because he had um, been fingerprinted for something in the past. I'm not sure what.
1: Like, if you're going for, like, if you're trying to get rid of identification, and I'm sorry, decapitating a human, probably the most gruesome thing you could possibly do to a human being. Right. Why wouldn't you take the hands as well? in the feet something like take everything that has like
0: I don't think these were the sharpest tools in the shed I'm just saying they made Rita an offer and they told her like we know that you and Richard did this and if you testify against Richard we will give you a sweetheart deal and they offered her 10 years in prison if she would testify against her husband. But she adamantly denied knowing anything about a murder. So a little bit more about Rita. Rita was born Rita Brookmeyer, and she was raised primarily by her mother, whom she claims was very abusive. Her brother John described her in Women Behind Bars as someone who was a liar and very manipulative. He said on the show Women Behind Bars that he truly believed that she would have flipped on Richard to save herself if she had evidence about the murder. Rita had been married three times, and by 1988, she had a teenage son. She married Richard Nitz only a few years before the murder. Rita's temporary roommate was a woman named Betty Boyer, and she told authorities that she looked outside the window of Richard and Rita's home on the night of the murder and she saw Richard beat Michael Miley in the head with a baseball bat. So this kind of sets alarm bells off because we already know that he was out at Crab Orchard like a few months before, smashing in cars. Right,
1: so the M.O. is kind of like, well, like the boat, like the weapon of choice.
0: Right. She said that she watched Rita and Richard both put Miley's body into the trunk of the car she then claimed that Rita drove Miley's vehicle and Richard followed off of their property, and she didn't know what happened after that. This testimony would play a key role in this case. And once they got this information from Betty Boyer, Rita and Richard were arrested and charged with first degree murder in the death of Michael Miley. Now, this is also before. Like, hate crime laws. So, even though they truly believe this to be a hate crime, given Richard's history of hate right. crimes, you know, this wasn't a time where you could punish someone more severely. Now, we're talking about murder anyway, so they were both eligible for death penalty because Illinois still had the death penalty at this point.
1: Yep.
0: Richard Nitz went to trial first. He plain, uh, pointed the blame at a 17-year-old neighbor. But he wasn't able to provide the jury with any evidence that would substantiate that. Betty Boyer was, of course, their star witness. And she claimed, just as she had told in her previous depositions, that she was babysitting Rita's son on the night of April 6th. She said Rita was out with Richard that night. And Richard agreed. He said, yeah, Rita was out with me that night. And he said that the couple had spent the night driving around and working on their marriage because they were having some marital issues. So Richard himself puts Rita with him the night of the murder. But Betty says that they came back to the property and Richard beat Michael Miley to death as she watched through the window. Richard's defense pointed to a lack of physical evidence. Since Michael's head was not found... It was impossible to know the actual cause of death.
1: Well, I mean that. Yeah, I mean if there's no other if, if there's no other marks on the body, and you need the head, well, it's kind of kind of hard.
0: Right, and so like his defense said, you know, you can't prove that Betty Boyer is telling the truth because you don't have his head. Um, however, interesting here, a pathologist testified that there was a hair in the trunk of Miley's vehicle that belonged to Michael Miley. And he did some sort of test that proved that at some point there had been trauma to the head. I don't quite understand the science part of it, but I guess there's some way you can look under the microscope at this hair and you can tell that there was head trauma. Okay. Based off oh. <laughs> some, some characteristic of the hair. I all don't I'm, know all right, I'm, all a all lot I'm gonna, about that part, but...
1: <laughs> all I'm going to say is,
0: okay... Yeah, that's that's um, some pretty high, you know, high powered science there. The defense claimed that Betty Boyer was coerced into lying by the state, but the jury did not buy it. And Richard Nitz was found guilty of three counts of first degree murder. So I'm assuming those three counts would be beating him in the head with the baseball bat, decapitating him and then lighting the car on fire. Right. That's my that. Those are my thoughts. I don't know that, but that's that's what I'm thinking. So, uh, Richard Nitz goes to his sentencing, and he's sentenced to die. Rita, in the meantime, while she was awaiting trial, had filed for divorce and legally was using the last name Brookmeyer. She went to trial in 1989, and she claimed that she was doing laundry at her friend's house that evening. And then went home with her son and was home with her son that night. So Richard and Betty Boyer contradict her story there. Right. She claims that Betty Boyer was not even at her house that evening. And she said that she had fell asleep at some point And Richard came in and woke her up in the middle of the night. She said she went with Richard to help move his car, which was stuck in a ditch. She then testified that she saw what she thought was oil on the ground, but she now believed that it was probably blood. And there is a quote from her that I'm going to have Chris read.
1: Uh, She said, quote, at that point, I believe that's when he asked me if I had ever seen a dead body, end quote.
0: So what happened to not knowing anything about a murder? Right. Like she's contradicting herself. She denied knowing Michael Miley had been murdered and she called her now ex-husband and her former friend liars. She said they were both lying. She had nothing to do with this. She knew nothing about it. But then her own testimony kind of contradicts that.
1: Yeah, it does. It doesn't look very good.
0: At some point, Rita had told police that her neighbor admitting to robbing and killing Michael Miley. And she said that he admitted to her that he had, quote, done something to the victim to conceal his identity end quote so again like
1: you're you're contradicting you're, yourself
0: right you're proving that you did in fact know something about it. And so it just, it's just weird. Like, if this had really happened the way that this happened, you were somebody that was truly innocent and had done nothing wrong, the minute that you are told, oh, these credit cards that you're using belong to a murder victim, and your husband had brought you out in the middle of the night, and you saw what you thought was blood, and he asked you if you had seen a dead body, and your next-door neighbor also told you that he robbed and murdered somebody and did something to conceal the identity, I think that shit would just start flying out of your mouth. Right. I'm just saying. Well, and it's
1: funny because not only does does she say that, oh, I don't know nothing about it. But then she's both saying that her husband, her husband did it first, but then her, the neighbor did it.
0: Right. Like, Like,
1: you're, like, the the story is so inconsistent that there is no, like, I'm sorry, but.
0: She's told so many different lies now, you can't believe a word that she says. Right. Um, It was proven, though, that the neighbor she blamed it on was out of state at the time of the murder and could not have committed the murder, nor had the conversation that Rita claimed. She also apparently claimed that items that were bought with Miley's credit cards had been gifts from Betty Boyer. So now she's pointing the finger at her friend, who's testifying against her, too. She later admits to using the credit card, so she contradicts herself... Again. So her
1: whole time on the stand was just a big cluster.
0: Yes. She basically sat there and just lied and lied and lied and lied. And before it was all over, the jury didn't believe the things she had to say.
1: And I wouldn't either.
0: No. Rita Brookmeyer Nitz was found guilty of first degree murder and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Richard Nitz went on to file several appeals, and believe it or not, he was granted a new trial in 1998 on grounds that he was taking antidepressants and therefore should have been given a mental fitness hearing prior to his trial. Like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, in 1988, it might have been a little less common, but I feel like more people are on antidepressants than aren't.
1: Right, I think that that's like the societal norm is, give me something to make me happy.
0: Right, and that may not have been the case then, but like I certainly can't see that using antidepressants would constitute a mental fitness hearing. But right, whatever. So he goes back to trial, and he's once again found guilty, but this time they do not sentence him to death; they sentence him to life in prison without parole. Which, now, I let's mean, be real; it wouldn't have mattered anyway.
1: Right, because in two thousand one or two thousand
0: three.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, two thousand three. Our nice little governor decided to be like, "Oh no, we're not. We're not." killing people no more no but at least they gave it gave it to him without parole
0: right so he's resentenced he gets life without parole and in 2004 though he gets another appeal and it's an appeal on his sentence and he's resentenced to 60 years because apparently there was some testimony that one of the juries um the jurors rather in his 1998 trial had doubts about his guilt and that the decapitation was post-mortem, thus not indicative of wanting cruelty.
1: How in the hell is that not cruelty?
0: I guess they were saying because it was post-mortem. Because he
1: was already dead?
0: Yeah.
1: That's... Okay, whatever. That doesn't make any sense at all.
0: No, I don't think it does either. And in 2006, the Illinois Supreme Court found that the... Decapitation, yes, it was post-mortem, but it was, quote, cold-blooded to sever and conceal a victim's head, end quote.
1: Did they ever find the head?
0: No. Michael oh. Miley's head has never been found. Um, so the Illinois Supreme Court reverses the decision and reinstates Richard Nitz's life sentence. Woohoo! Illinois did something right.
1: Yes, yeah, finally does something right.
0: He is still appealing his case, and he's currently incarcerated at the Hill Correctional Center. Rita Nitz continues to appeal her case as well, but all of her appeals so far have been denied. Now here's where it's kind of interesting. There is a decent amount of people who believe that Rita is innocent and that she is a victim of spousal abuse at the hands of Richard Nitz. In fact, there's a book written by Larry Franklin entitled The Rita Nitz Story, A Life Without Parole, and he adamantly believes that she was screwed over by the court system. He believes that her conviction and her sentence was a gross miscarriage of justice, and he continues to this day to try to spread awareness to help her to get her um, a successful appeal. Now, this is what I'm going to say. She may very well have been a victim of spousal abuse. If this man is out there committing hate crimes and bashing people's cars in and bashing people's heads in and then cutting them off, do I believe he could have been a wife-beater? Absolutely, I do. But she lied so much that I don't believe that she... I don't believe that she necessarily did anything physically, but I think she was right there the whole time. Well, and...
1: A, like a big thing with this case is that it's hard to prove murder without a murder weapon. And they can tell exactly what the murder weapon was, right?
0: Well, like, they can prove murder because people who die naturally don't have their head cut off. Well,
1: I no, but I'm talking about, like...
0: Method of murder, yes. Right. Absolutely.
1: And so there really was no physical... I mean, except for the credit cards. Yeah. Like... There was no evidence that, or you know, that right. that they did anything. They never found like blood trail, like blood on like the weapon or anything like that. They never did find the gun. You know, so I
0: honestly, believe that if she had just shut her mouth and not lied, 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 she maybe would have been acquitted or sentenced to a lesser, charge.
1: to like some kind of like felony theft. Yeah, but I mean. This is that whole catch-22, and it's, like, really good... Like, the prosecution did a good job presenting evidence, but she screwed herself by lying so much.
0: Right. And Betty Boyer's testimony was key in having both her and Richard convicted... And it's interesting because Larry Franklin's website, he has a post from 2013 that claims that Betty Boyer has since recanted her testimony, and she now claims that a prosecutor forced her to lie. So I, I don't know what I think about that, because without her testimony, I don't think they would have convicted Rita.
1: I don't think they could have got a conviction on either one of them.
0: If she would have kept her mouth closed. I mean... I think they probably could have gotten a conviction on him.
1: but It, was, when, it
0: wasn't a strong case, but well, with the, his history the, but, and then the items and stuff that okay, were there. But
1: that, okay, but that's just... You're, that That's not murder, though. That's just felony theft. I like, think they, so, like,
0: they could have made a case. A weak case, I'll give you that. But I think they could have made a case for him even without her testimony, but I don't see how they would have gotten the case with Rita. So if Betty Boyer is honestly now saying that she made that up, then I don't know. I think that if they, if they resentenced Rita and gave her a lesser sentence, which I mean, at this point she's now been in prison for more than 30 years. So even if they said time served and gave her parole at this point, I'm not saying I'd be a hundred percent against it, but I also don't believe what she says because she lies. She lies too much, and well, she told too many the... different stories for me to believe that she didn't know what happened. She—I don't believe she physically murdered him, but I believe she knew exactly what happened.
1: Okay, and this is going to be like kind of against what I normally do. Normally, I'm you know all for you know people rotting in prison, but. We have to look at the evidence that was provided. If Benny Boyer, like you said, recants that evidence, like recants that whole testimony, so then you're just going off of what? That they had credit card purchases and stuff, like like his stuff stolen. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm sorry, none of it is indicative of murder. Even, even with his background, even with his background. Okay, he's a dickhead. But that doesn't mean that he's a murderer. Like, if if they would have had, I mean, anything, like a weapon, or found the damn head, or found any kind of trace evidence on any of them.
0: I think there's enough circumstantial evidence. And it's I say that... Be, yeah, but there's there's been plenty of convictions on circumstantial evidence. And I do think they have enough. Because, first of all, they know she had a gun and now she can't produce it.
1: I lost it. They can it. prove that I, she... I, you want to know what? I, I know a lot of people here lately that have been losing losing guns in lakes.
0: Yeah, but they... I'm just saying. I, well, I'm not... Let me finish. I understand that, but... Okay, Kanye. <laughs> I'm really getting pissed off at you now okay go let me talk let me talk so if they had a gun that they just bought a few weeks ago and now it's MIA plus they're using credit cards from a dead man that had clearly been murdered and then they find that dead man's property in your house in your garage in your car that, to me, is enough, enough probable cause. And then when you, you f- bring in his history, I think it's definitely enough probable cause. 100% do I think okay, you, that so, there's enough probable cause and enough circumstantial evidence to convict him.
1: I, I, think I don't a-
0: know about her except for then in her trial, she starts running her mouth. And she, she gave testimony that puts him there. She doesn't, like...
1: We can both agree. She did not look good in this trial.
0: No, but she even said that he brought her out there and asked her if she wanted to see a dead body and blah, blah, blah. Like, her own testimony, to me, puts the nails in his coffin.
1: It doesn't, though. It does. Because you just said, like, with all the back and forth wishy-washy, she she looks like a liar. Right. Looks like a duck, you know, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. She looks like a liar, she's talking liar, liar, she's a liar. So then how can you just like you can't be you can you can't take one part of her testimony and be like, oh that's the truth and be like, oh no, that's a lie. Because then you have to look like with your own thing of her like you're her saying that she looks like a liar, you have to be like, Well then you can't take anything on faith.
0: Right, but that's my point. So you can't believe a word that she's saying Plus, okay. they're using a dead man's credit cards and have a dead man's property in their house. And... Once again... The dead man is a person who was killed in a place where we know that he goes to commit hate crimes. That, that's enough for me. Okay. If so, I was on that jury, I would have convicted.
1: We are, we are. I'm going to put something on the record right now. Okay? Do I believe he's guilty? Yes. I'm looking at it from the evidential standpoint. They found a car that was burnt out with a decapitated dead body in the back, okay? They found no murder weapon and no head, okay? So you don't know what caused the damage to the head. You can't find what, you know, there's nothing around because, I mean, oh, yeah, the, you know, it might have had blunt trauma to the head because of what the scientists said. But once again... Where you can't produce a weapon, a pr- or produce a weapon that's in his possession.
0: But there's murder convictions where they can't even produce a body.
1: I'm not. I'm. I'm going off of this right now. Okay. Now, they have credit cards and his personal property. Looks suspicious. Not indicative of murder though. That's a class, like that's a class A felony. Like yeah, you're bullshit that's, that's grand theft.
0: Bullshit though. No. no. No, I have to call bullshit. You don't use a dead man's credit card mm-hmm. right after he's murdered and have nothing to do with his murder.
1: But people, okay.
0: If he was running around alive, okay, well, then it's grand theft. But that or if he was missing, okay, it's proof that you, grand theft, but the fact that he's dead without a head, nope, sorry.
1: But I mean, I'm just saying that if you look at it from like the devil's advocate's point and then you have her t- uh, Rita's testimony that we know has been wishy-washy at best and just totally like spin cycle at, at the worst. So none of her testimony can be like be considered true at this point. Right. Okay? So we have to take her testimony out. Now you have Betty Boyer. Betty Boyer is the one that says, oh yeah, I saw him. And her. Like, and I saw him beat him. Okay, that... Okay, I will take eyewitness testimony as kind of. Okay? But then, she recanted her testimony. So well, now we have to take... Now we take...
0: 25 the, years later. Doesn't matter. And not in a court of law.
1: It Devil's advocate. Now we take her testimony away. So what are we left? We're left with a a burned-out car with a dead body without a head that's missing his watch and all his credit cards that have been stolen.
0: And his watch and the radio from his vehicle that's burnt out are found on someone's property who happens to be using their credit cards. Okay, so... That doesn't take a rocket scientist, babe. I love you, but that's uh, definitely enough circumstantial evidence.
1: Okay, but I'm just saying, like, hey, they said that the body wasn't visible. At the beginning, remember, the bike was in the trunk. So what's not to say that, oh, his wallet and stuff was on the front seat? And because I, and, the and, car and, was
0: burnt out. If you burnt out a car, you're not going to have a perfectly fine radio with no signs of burning in it.
1: But prove that I burnt it then.
0: <laughs> <You>
1: the burden <laughs> of proof is not on the defense. It's on the prosecution. I understand and that. I feel like
0: they meant it. They meant I, it.
1: I think that there are a lot of holes that had to be filled. I'm not saying I'm not it's saying... a
0: rock-solid case, but I think there's I'm enough saying... circumstantial evidence to convict.
1: I'm saying that the prosecution did a damn good job of with whatever little evidence they had, and they got the conviction. On devil's advocate side, though, there are so many holes in this story, and the, like from point A to point B, that once you start really plucking holes at it, you, if, if the defense was good at all, they could have destroyed all this test of like, everything. And then you're, I mean, you're right. The credit cards are pretty much a dead giveaway.
0: Give right.
1: Like, I know we were arguing back and forth, but, like, this is me just playing devil's, like, this is me playing opposites, like, we're having a good debate. Right. You're debating for, I'm debating against. You know? Well, and
0: And th- this is just one of those things that... And we're not the only people, because there is a lot of people that believe that Rita is innocent of murder. They're not saying she's innocent of everything, but they're saying she's innocent of murder and that, you know, anything that happened was because Richard forced it to happen and and, and whatnot. But, I mean, I just feel like, me personally, I feel like they're both exactly where they belong. Well, and I do too. You know, I don't know that she took... Uh, part in the murder, but she knew more than she let on. So, and that's another like something I didn't get as well. So, she got
1: charged with first degree murder as well, correct? Yes. So, when they're charged with, like, this is just me being still new to this true crime stuff. So, are they, when they're charging with first degree murder, so they're saying that she had a hand in it. Like, she did something to caused it like to, to cause the death.
0: Well, see this is where it gets a little bit a little bit tricky. So there's different kind of murder laws and I don't know exactly when the felony murder law was enacted. Um, I believe it was after nineteen eighty eight, but what I can tell you now is if you and I go into a house and we're going to burglarize it, even if we had no intention of killing anyone and anyone ends up getting shot, I mean, you and I can go in there and the homeowner can shoot you and I can get tried for felony murder. And because because you a caused... murder occurred in the process okay. of a, committing a felony. Okay. Um, and I think in this case, the reason that she was charged with first-degree murder is because she was she was part of the cover up she obviously was lying about something right. she told too many stories not to and she was using his credit card so you know i think in the eyes of the state and in, obviously in the eyes of the jury she was as complicit as he was i don't necessarily think that i believe that she had a part to do with the actual hands on murder but she was there, and she did nothing to stop it. And it's the same as if you and I went—you know—even if I said, "Oh, I'm going to go murder this person," and you go with me and you just stand on the sidelines and watch, you're just as guilty as the because person I doing didn't, it
1: because I didn't do anything to prevent.
0: Right, and, and I, you or I didn't report. You were a part of it, okay? And then, especially so, if you help cover it up,
1: okay? So once Which, again, once again, I want to reiterate. I'm still new to this. I know. Like, I'm loving... Like, I'm loving all... Like, I'm getting more into it. So, there is a difference between first-degree murder and felony murder.
0: There is, but felony murder is usually the same type of circumstance as far as sentencing severity as a first-degree. With the exception of capital murder states, which Illinois no longer is. Because you can't be charged with capital murder for a felony murder, um, I don't think, unless it's happening during the commission of a felony on that person, like an assault or okay. a rape or something like that. Okay. But um, it gets a little bit tricky when you get into those kind of situations versus, you know, like the robbery kind of situations. So, but, you know, she... I just feel like she hung herself because honestly I would probably believe in her innocence knowing that Betty Boyer supposedly recanted I'm not saying she did or did not recant I'm just saying the only evidence that I have is coming from Larry Franklin who has been a a very strong supporter of Rita Nitz from the get-go right so it's not an unbiased it did not happen in a court of law there's been no appeal brought forward that I'm aware of that okay. says that she committed perjury or I there's nothing like that that I'm aware of. It's more almost a, more of a rumor at this point okay. in my opinion. Um, so but if you take that out and Betty Boyer had not been a part of it, I think I would probably maybe believe her if she hadn't ran around running her mouth. You know, I would believe, not that she was innocent, but that maybe she wasn't there when it happened. But, you know, she still reaped the rewards of it by using the credit card. If she hadn't ran her mouth and said, oh, Richard brought me out there and told me, you know, asked me if I had seen a dead body. And then she says, oh, the neighbor told me they did it and they did something to conceal the identity. And I don't know if she made that statement before or after learning that he had... So, I it would be interesting to learn if she had made that. I would assume it was after because it didn't yeah. didn't come up in the research until the trial. Well, but it'd be t- interesting to see if she had made that comment before she knew that, because that would definitely put her and Richard, you know, right there. Right. But, um, you know, so it just seems like her defense was to point the finger in twenty-five different directions and hope one sticks. Right. And really, that's all the defense has to do. The defense does not need to prove innocence; they have to prove reasonable doubt, as Christopher has learned because he has watched some of the Casey Anthony information.
1: Yeah. So
0: uh,
1: I love you guys, but I hate you so much. Uh, I did watch uh, the KC Anthony little miniseries that is on, uh, what was it, Discovery?
0: It was on Discovery Plus, And we're actually going to be doing a Facebook Live, which I, um, October the
1: 1st. Second. O- October 2nd. Se-
0: no, I think it's the 1st. I think it's Saturday. Yeah. October the, or Friday, rather. October the 1st at 7 p.m. And that's going to give Chris the chance to. Um, Vent. Vent. Vent and speak not, his mind, and so, it's so funny to me because it's like they're <laughs> they're talking about all the media coverage and you know how hard it was to get a non-biased jury, and it's like everybody has heard of this, and I just look at him, and he's like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know right. how I was living under a rock, and right? I didn't mean, hear it's, about <laughs> this case. but
1: I mean, it, it was a very very compelling case, and I'm not gonna like I started taking notes on it, yeah, but it's, after after about. Thirty minutes. I put the notepad down and I kind of just watched it in silence because I kind of want you. Like you there was guys... there
0: was some vulgarity involved while he watched, right? And
1: when <laughs> the when we do the Facebook live, you know, I'll take snippets. Like I'll get some snippets of the things that kind of really irked me from that uh, documentary.
0: Well, and most people and especially our fans, I think all know about who Casey Anthony is in the case, but when we do the live, I will do just a brief synopsis of the whole story, just to bring it all fresh and, you know, just to summarize everything. So, we're looking forward to that. That's Friday night at 7pm on our Facebook page. Um, Make sure that you like and follow us on Facebook. And all of our, as always, all of our resource material, as well as Pictures. We never post without some pictures. So if you're listening to a story and you want to see what that person looks like, please go to our website. It's www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. And also, we are going to ask all of our lovely fans if you would like to please, please. Support us with our patron page. Um, you can become a patron through Facebook. There's a link on a post. And you can also go to our website and click on the button. And you can you can pledge even a dollar a month. And that will go so far to help us to upgrade equipment, improve our sound. Keep right. bringing you guys this great content. Because right. we're having so much fun doing yeah, this. Yeah, and
1: we are having fun doing this. And I want it to be the best possible content that we can bring you and right now we're using some mics from from walmart you know and i i want our i want our I, I want it to be a nice production i want to get some stuff for the walls so it doesn't sound so echoey and reverby and stuff like that yeah. you know and so like anything you guys do like would be greatly appreciated uh, i think we go all the way up to like 50 dollars a month and that's for like an actual sponsorship where you can give us an ad
0: And the other thing is, too, is um, if you pledge anything, we will give you access to select patron-only episodes, but if you pledge at the silver level, which is $5 or more, you will have access to every single patron-only episode. Um, And as we get more patrons, we'll do more patron-only episodes. And then you'll also get a really cool magnet. Everybody needs a Midwest Crime Files magnet. Yeah. And then as we do giveaways, we'll enter you into bonus things for that as well. So um, it's just so much fun to have you guys as fans, and we're really hopeful that you'll become a patron.
1: Yeah. Um, Also, uh, we are going to be redoing some of our episodes uh Gene and I took a trip down Memory Lane Lane and uh listened to some of the uh the very first like five of uh the Midwest Crime Files and I think we're just going to do we're going to do it's the same story
0: but we're going to remaster that sound yeah so. and
1: I'm going to save those uh save the original episode and I think we I don't know we're going to archive them somewhere
0: yeah, sure. they're painful to listen to, but it's it's nice to go back and see how nervous I was and how much we've grown and how much better our sound is, especially our intro. Right. It's quite funny. So, all right, everybody. We will see you next week. Actually, we'll see you Friday on Facebook Live.
1: Yep. See you guys.
0: Bye.